Big, big thanks to FreshBooks, the super easy-to-use cloud accounting software. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash invest and enter invest like a boss in the how did he hear about us section. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 62 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with Sam Marks. Not here, but we are together virtually, remotely, whatever you want to say. And Johnny, this is always my favorite episode, man. Updates, nice and informal. Talk about life, talk about investments, what's changed, what's happening. I'm excited. Yeah, and we've been putting this off for a long time, but we've been meaning to do an early retirement episode because technically both Sam and I are now retired. Woohoo. Good job, buddy. Boohoo. Yep. Well, it's more boohoo because I don't, I don't know if it's, uh, as, you know, fabulous as some people might be thinking it is. So let's kind of dive into what has changed, what our finances look like. And then let's talk about what we think about early retirement. I like it. I'm looking forward to diving into it. We, you know, we chatted about this a little bit on the James Alter episode and there's just so much to it. And the, Unfortunately, there's not a lot of people that have actually retired early, so it's hard to get advice and perspective from them. Uh, but I think through our experiences, especially over the last couple of years, we have gained a lot of insight into what that lifestyle is like. And I'm looking forward to sharing it and exploring your side of it as well. Yeah, definitely. And I've been getting really excited about it. I actually just started making a lot of videos on my personal YouTube channel about personal finance and early retirement because it's been on my mind so much. So if you guys are interested in that, just look for Johnny FD on YouTube. Sounds good, man. Well, before we get into early retirement, let's build up the episode with some chats about what's been happening in the world of invest like a boss and more importantly, our investments, our passive income and what has happened over the last three exciting months of Q2. Hey bosses, if you are self-employed like we are, and especially if you hate dealing with numbers, invoices, and reminders, you need to check out FreshBooks. They made my life so much easier by letting me set up reoccurring expenses and invoices that I can set up once and just forget about. You can set up automated late payment reminders as well. So next time somebody who owes you money doesn't pay, they automatically get a message so you don't have to chase them down or worst off, forget to get paid. Seriously, if you're a small business owner or a freelancer, check out the service. It's super easy to use and it's free for the first month. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to our listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash invest and enter invest like a boss in the how did he hear about us section. Glad to announce that invest like a boss after exactly a year is no longer losing money. Woo! So big thank you to our first uh, sponsor, uh, FreshBooks. And because of them, now we are not bleeding money producing the show out of just our joy of making it. But you know what's that's awesome? And this is something that MJ DeMarco said about writing his book, The Millionaire Fastlane, was that he wrote it not because he needed to make money. He didn't care if one person wrote it or bought it. He wrote it because out of the joy of writing it and sharing the experience and when we started this podcast, it was anything but a business decision. It's still not a business decision. It's nice to not lose money like playing golf. If you could break even on playing golf, it'd be great. But most people just pay for it because they enjoy the experience. And so when we started this podcast, it was never about 
we never ha- even thought about sponsorships or, or making money or anything like that. It was about, let's learn. Here's a problem that we have to solve for ourselves. The best way to solve it is to talk to the smartest people. How do we do that? And by the way, why not share this information with the thousands and thousands of people out there that are trying to get access to the same exact information, but don't have a platform to do it. So that was the whole founding concept of the, the podcast. And that, that uh, narrative stays true to today. Yeah, definitely. And just in this last quarter, we've had on some huge name guests. We've had on MJ DeMarco. We've had on James Altucher. We've had on multiple CEOs of big companies. So just being able to, to, you know, talk to these big name CEOs and bring them into our network and just kind of be around people who are driven as successful. I think that's benefited us personally more than anything. And us being able to share that. That knowledge with all of our listeners, I think just kind of the good karma in the world has, has benefited us a lot as well. You know, one of the beautiful and interesting things about investing and the knowledge that we've grown over the last year of doing this podcast, you know, you read people's books at the end of their life and they're like, one thing I realize about the world is that I know nothing. And the more I know, I, I, I realize I know nothing. And it's the same thing with investing. I would say after episode 50, I was like, you know what? We've kind of hit on all the big the big categories of all the big topics. We've talked to so many big name people. Is there a lot more to learn or is there diminishing returns? And really just in the last month, when taking a look at some of these episodes and recapping some of these big name people we had on, we had Phil Town, great hedge fund manager. We had on Andy Rockcliffe, the wealth uh, Wealthfront CEO. We've had on the CEOs of CrowdStreet, Royalty Exchange, Yield Street. And literally every time we recap an episode, I'm like, okay, everything's changed. My thoughts and principles of investing are are changing and evolving. And the way that I'm looking at my own investments is changing. So I think we're really just scratching the surface. And to say what at episode 50, or now we're we're coming on up onto uh, 70 episodes, we're just scratching the surface. And I think that is the beauty of this is that it's constantly an evolving game and knowledge base that we are taking applicable skills from and figuring out how to do better with our money. Well, one funny thing is I remember around episode 14, I had, I think I had said to you offline, hey, I think I think I figured it out. We should just invest in index funds and we should just buy and hold and we're done. Like we can stop recording this podcast now. And thank goodness, like I, I didn't just close my mind to all the other possibilities because now that we're in episode 62, I've realized, you know what? That's actually probably a pretty good way to invest. And that's probably better than, you know, 95% of people out there. But that extra kind of 5% of knowledge, that's where multi-millionaires are made. That's where the billionaires are made. And that's kind of where the, that's where the exciting aspects of investing come in. I love it. So man, we recap some of the highlights of quarter one, some of the big names we've had on some of the learnings. Let's talk about what has happened in the life of Johnny and Sam's investment portfolio. Johnny, have you made any new investments over the last three months? So I actually have not made any new investments the last three months. I've still been putting a little bit of money into things that I've been investing in in the past, like Pierce Street, uh, into my Vanguard index funds. And I tried to get an investment into Yield Street for the the legal uh, loans, but that I just couldn't get in on that. And one of the reasons why I... I didn't get anything new is because I have this big tax bill at the end of 
you know, this tax year from making all that money last year. I had the biggest year of my life. I definitely had the biggest year of my life. So I had the biggest tax bill as well. So now I'm actually just trying to get some, some more money into my checkings and savings account to have that buffer. Well, first off, I think that's awesome because I think simplifying things and also knowing when not to make investments is just as good of as knowing when. And one thing I've definitely noticed in my life over the last, I would say, 24 months and maybe even more specifically since we started this podcast is just doing too many things. And that is actually for a purpose. It's really just to be able to share on the podcast and also to gain experience because I'm much more of a, a learner by action than I am by reading or, or just kind of passive information. So that said, I went into Q. I think we did the Q1 updates. I said, I'm not making any more investments in Q2. And I ended up making more investments. Uh, so one of them that I, I do like was Yield Street. Extremely difficult to get into. I, uh, we talked about that. We had uh, their CEO on, Milan Meher. Uh, great episode. Very, very cool platform. Extremely hard to get into those new investments. I did get into to one real estate fund with them that I've been happy with so far. We'll see, of course, see how these things pan out. Uh, I also added more funds to Fundrise into one of their new, I think they're calling them E-Funds. Uh, and that's a development fund for actually taking or uh, uh, buying new pro- uh, buying existing properties and renovating them. So I think the hold period is estimated to be five to six years on that as well. But the only reason I really did that was because I've been happy with Fundrise. I would say I would say Peer Street's kind of my anchor in this new alternative stuff, and Fundrise is is a close second. And I, I constantly have more money going into Peer Street just because I'm reinvesting the money there. Uh, so I wanted to add a little bit more to Fundrise and check out this new this new fund that they had. And the last thing that I'm doing that I'm really excited about, and I don't want to share all the details because we're going to have an upcoming episode on it, but is, as we talked about with MJ DeMarco and so many other wealthy people, municipal bonds. And I've always Ooh. been curious about municipal bonds, how to buy them, how to hold them, all the different uh, complexities of around buying and, and investing in municipal bonds. And I met a guy, I met a guy and he knows his municipal bonds. And for me, it makes a lot of sense. So I don't want to share all of the details on that because we're going to have an upcoming episode on those. And, um, I would say it's one of the most practical things like the most practical meetings I've had in investing in my entire life. I got the most out of it. I think it's going to be, have the biggest impact on taxes, earnings, long-term uh, investment strategy. So really, really excited. And that meeting came strictly out of this podcast. I never would have had access to it without the podcast and invest like a boss. So that's been a huge, uh, a huge victory in terms of what's what I've personally gotten out of it. And hopefully something that I'll take with me for the rest of life and can share with everybody else. That is awesome. I'm actually really excited that that you got into that because that's something that's been something that I've been personally curious about as well. So I'm very, very happy. Not only did you get on it, but I'm also kind of excited to listen to that show just for myself. Yeah, and that was one that was in MJ DeMarco's book, and then it came up on the MJ DeMarco episode again, municipal bonds. And every time I talk to wealthy people, I was just in Spain and Barcelona with with some super high net wealth people. They're talking about municipal bonds, but everyone's kind of cryptic about how to buy them. You can buy closed end funds. You can buy the individual share offers. You can or individual issues. You can buy, of course, like the Vanguard ETFs. There's just tons of ways, like anything else, to buy it. So 
this upcoming episode, we haven't recorded it yet. I'm actually making a special trip to a city to meet with a guy and record the episode just for Invest Like a Boss. And I know it's going to be very beneficial to everybody. That is dope. So I'm really excited about that. So one good thing about doing these quarterly updates is it forces me to sit down and actually fill out my accounting. So I, I actually have a Google sheet called Johnny's Net Worth. And I've been writing down <laughs> exactly how much I have in each account. So, you know, how much is in my Charles Schaub account, how much is in my Chase account, which is in my Wealthfront, my Vanguard, my Lending Club, all these accounts. So to kind of go over it really quickly, most things are very similar. That, um, but the ones that have a significant change would be my Fundrise. I went, I, I put in, uh, an extra three grand in there. So now it's up to 10 grand because I, I just like that kind of nice even number. I think I invested a three grand into Heartland because I figure if Trump does what he says about kind of bringing up infrastructure and jobs, then the kind of mid America is going to, going to rise. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I put in another 12 grand into Pier Street, bringing it up to six, $63,766 in there. So that's actually, going to be my second largest investment is Pure Street. And I really like that every month it's paying me back and it's uh, going back into my account so I can buy more. My lending club, I decided to finally cash out and take out the money that's just <laughs> been sitting in an account. I have turned off, I turned off the reinvest a long time ago, but I just had that money still sitting in the account in cash just so it was easy to, to look at and see you know, my total earnings or total loss. Uh, so right now it's about 4% total earnings. So, you know, not bad, but it, it has been in there for like three or four years. So it's almost like saying like, you know, I've made, I barely made inflation back or I've actually lost money yeah. on, on inflation. Uh, but luckily I was able to take out half the money. So I still have about 2,500 bucks in my lending club account that it's going to take another year or so to, to mature. But as soon as that's out, I'm going to pull that out. My uh, Vanguard accounts, I've finally stopped my $3,000 a month auto invest. I've been putting $3,000 a month into either VTI or the, um, I don't remember what it's called now, but it's the, the small cap value, uh, funds. And unfortunately, because I'm no longer working, I don't have that much extra cash to put three grand in every month, especially because I'm, I still have my expenses. I'm still paying for a bunch of other things as well. So it's, this is something that, uh, I've really had to think about. And I've decided that because it sucks to not be able to put money into my bank. So, so the two reasons why I haven't been putting money in one is because I'm a little bit afraid that the stock market is going to, you know, to, is going to have a big recession. So I'm trying to just keep more money in cash. So that way, if there is a big downturn, then I can just buy more. But then second is because I don't have that much cash coming in or income coming in, it's kind of forced me to not be able to, to do both, not be able to have, you know, money in savings and also money into, into Vanguard. And that is probably the, the biggest kind of fork in the road that I'm going to have to talk about when we talk about retirement. I like it. I'm so looking forward to asking you questions about your own <laughs> retirement plans. But first, let's go into let's go into detail on a few choice investments that we are holding. Um, just like we did in the Q1 episode, let's go into detail on a few choice ones. So I'm going to talk a little bit about ones that are off mainstream 
Um, and I know you want to, you've already touched on a few of these. Um, there's a couple others that, that I know you want to touch on art of effects, maybe a little bit more deep into Vanguard, but I'll kick it off. The first one I'll talk about is actually going to be a loser. So normally we talk about winners, but as most listeners knows, I have a few losers in my portfolio, especially over the, the course of history. So one that I don't know what to do with is I put about, I think it's around a half million US dollars into RMB, exchange it to RMB and been holding RMB. And I've, and I made that decision when RMB was at its absolute strong point, which I think was 5.95 to the dollar. And of course it was, it was gaining 3% against the dollar every single year. And all the analysts were saying it's going to continue, it's going to continue. So I rushed to get in. And my bank, HSBC, and also DBS in Singapore, they're offering like 3% fixed deposit. So I'm like, this is great. I can, I can hedge my bet against the US dollar by holding RMB. I can make 3% a year in appreciation as it, it uh, appreciates against the US dollar. And I can make 3% in fixed deposits. I'm like, this is great. Well, I did it all at once. And ever since then, it's continued to slip. It's now down almost 20% against the US dollar. So if you figure on a hundred on 500 grand that's it's almost a hundred thousand dollars loss um and i where's the bottom it's like I, I i have no idea uh so i'm I'm at the point now that i'm about to just call it off and change it back to us dollar because of course now all the analysts are saying where's the bottom for rmv china's screwed they're going to continue to inflate and print money i don't really know what to do but it sucks making three percent while you're losing like five percent a year or more right uh so i don't know what to do with that but i would love to get any boss listeners uh advice or suggestions on that and so, one do one john here well i, I, I want to comment on this chinese rmb okay. were, were we friends when you put this money in no uh so this was right after we sold the business and i had a windfall and a lot of u.s dollars and you know i didn't know what to do if I look back at all my investments after we sold the business, dude, I was 28. Like I, my investment experience to that date was like losing 50 grand in a bridge loan, pulling all my money out of a stock market in 2008 at the bottom and a couple startup investments that I lost on convertible notes. Like I had probably the worst track record of investing in anybody's history of like early money investing. I didn't know what to do. And, um, so yeah, I thought it was a good investment at the time. It's been horrible since. All right. Well, uh, I guess lesson learned, and <laughs> I, I feel Hindsight, bad. I'm sorry, hey, man. Monday, Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty. No, no, no. Because if you asked me any time in the history of of China, if you should be investing in in China, I would have said no. <laughs> and I think part of it is just from understanding the culture, understanding like the the people. That I mean, literally every single person who becomes rich in China, the first thing they do is try to get their money out of China. I know, yeah, and it's crazy. My personal suggestion would would be to get your money out. I I think it could have been a lot worse. I think it it can get a lot worse. Uh, obviously, it can get better. It can recover, but I would not bet on on it getting better. I would bet on it getting worse. So that that's. Because I spent so much time on the ground there, that's actually why I made the investment. But I was locked into this factory watching the most magnificent per human output. I, I It was almost like superhuman what I was watching these people produce every single day. 
And I'm like, wow, these people are willing to sit here for 13 hours a day, work on this line and pump out production. Like you go back to the US and everyone's sitting there. I mean, people in the US work hard, but it's nowhere. It's nowhere in comparison. I'm like, wow, China's got coming up on what? 1.5, probably at 2 billion people in the next 15 years. I'm like, they're going to crush it. They're going to be the world's best economy. They're going to take over the world. I think it was just because I was like stuck in that little factory, like watching the stuff that I, was, I had a biased opinion. And then as I got to know China as a large scale more and watch all the smart people and all the money leave the country and learn a little bit more about the government and their, their economic policy that I realized maybe this isn't a good idea. And, um, and yeah, it's turned out to be a, a big mistake. Uh, so Johnny, you're saying you would take the 20% loss right off the hundred K put the money back into us dollars or some other investment. Yeah. I mean, that's what I would personally do, but obviously who knows? <laughs> it could go either way, but I think you're probably safer for going this about this route. Okay. But I, but I am curious. I mean, I'm going to make a decision on it soon. Uh, I will, I guess either the decisions just leave it or get rid of it, but I'll, I'll keep you guys posted. Yeah, please do. Because yeah. well, remember this leaving it is, is a decision as, as, as well. I think the worst thing someone could do would be, uh, just to completely, you know, forget it, say, oh, it's so much trouble to, to move it. I don't want to think about it and just leave it. So yeah. I want you to think about, I want you to think about it this way instead is instead of having your decisions be either leave it or take the money out, ask yourself, would you, would you invest more money into it? If you think that there's a chance of it going up, then invest more money in it. And if you think if it's just the kind of the, there's a term for it, um, sunk costs. If it's just the fear of the sunk costs, don't let that hold you back. So if you compare this to other currency plays that I've made in the past and actually done okay on, I think about it from like a price standpoint and a value standpoint. So let's look at Singapore. You went to Singapore five years ago. The dollar and the Singapore dollar were closer to parity. I think it was like 1.12 to the US dollar. And you go out to a restaurant and a beer costs like 17 Singapore dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the most expensive beer in the world, save maybe Norway or one or two other places. But you're just like, there's no way that that currency can appreciate that much more because the value is just crazy. All right. And then you go to say Thailand where the currency is like 35 to the dollar and you can go out and literally buy a meal for a dollar, right? You can go, you can go buy like a good dish for a dollar. You're like, there's just no way that that currency can really depreciate anymore. And for the RMB, I don't think there's a decisive place where it's at right now. It's like 6.8, 6.9 to the dollar. Like that's, you can still go there and like, it's, it's okay value. It's not like crazy overpriced, still not crazy underpriced. So I don't think it can go to like eight because I, because their import, their exports would just skyrocket. Things would be really, really cheap there. I think it kind of, you know, it all balances but now looking back at five, you know, where it was 5.95 and that seems way too strong. So I think it's probably at a, like a good point right now. But this I think the lesson learned is like on the last episode, you were talking about Ukraine, you know, opening potentially opening a Ukrainian bank account and holding Ukrainian, whatever they're called it because <laughs> the of the interest that they pay. Yeah. Grimna, right. The last currency anybody knows. But the point is, is like, don't get don't do it just because of the interest because that's essentially one of the big reasons I did it because if you hold US dollars, you can make like 0.35%. But it seemed like a pretty good currency that was making 3%. Sure, I'll open a bank account and I'll, I'll save it. You know, I'll put it in fixed deposits. 
But I think that's still the lesson learned is you really have to think about the currency and how risky and how big of a move it could make to whatever currency your main currency is. Yeah, definitely. So on the currency track, my biggest gain, I guess, my, my, my best investment in terms of just raw numbers would definitely be my art of FX account. And that is funny because that was our, was that our second episode ever? Episode two, third, I think. Uh, third, yeah. third. It was our third first episode. actual. It was our actual first episode outside of kind of introduction to you and me. Yeah, and that was completely by accident. If you guys haven't heard that episode, it's probably one of the kind of most exciting episodes we've ever done. That was the last yeah. time. That was the only time we've ever gotten really drunk on an episode as well and made crazy <laughs> investments. Um, today, I'm actually in Ukraine drinking kvass while we're recording this, and. It's not Cavassier. It's not even really alcoholic. It's it's like point zero, like point five percent alcoholic, almost kind of like kombucha, but it tastes like their version of beer with tons of minerals in it. What are you drinking, Sam? I got a Australian Penfolds Shiraz, and I took <laughs> I took a five day uh, break from alcohol, which my mom and dad will be super proud of me for. You know, um, I was in Spain and then walking across Ireland. So Spain, I was having wine every night. And then walking across Ireland, I was having a Guinness every day. So got back over to Asia. I said five days off, but there was a shiny bottle of some Shiraz. And I said, what better time to crack a bottle than Q2 updates? All right. Well, I like that. So I also like my gains, at least on paper, uh, for Art of FX. Uh, the only reason why I can't. I can't just, you know, say this is this kind of the, you know, uh, end all be all because I've had a 39.52% gain since I've opened the account pretty much exactly a year ago. I, I think I opened it up in June of 2016. So it's tempting to put a ton of money in there. It's, it's tempting to tell everyone this is by far the best gain I've ever had. The only problem is I don't understand. Out of, you know, I mean, just Forex in general, um, that well, I haven't been in it long enough and I haven't withdrew money from it. So, and it's also, you know, because it's not like this huge company like, um, like Pierce Street or Vanguard. So it's hard for me to understand. And a part of me really, really wants to put more money in. But the other part of me is thinking, you know what? I, t- I told myself I'll put 10 grand in and I'll just kind of let that sit and see what happens after the three years. And I'm going to stick to that plan. So for anyone who who knows and understands Forex trading, I think this is a, a good investment because you'll just be able to dive into things a lot deeper than Johnny and I. But this was the first episode that we actually did on the podcast outside of Johnny and my introduction because it was one of those things that were so unique to us. It was like out of this world. How do we get our heads around this? Let's do a podcast on it. And like you, Johnny, my account's been on fire the last three years, easily the best performing account that I have. And, you know, I love Brian and Tank. Great guys. Also, a big shout out. Thanks for contributing to our, uh, our charity fundraiser for Cambodia next year. And, um, you know, we, we know the guys are good guys. They teach trading. They have all types of content on trading. And every single month, our account continues to perform, except this week is down uh, 0.28%. That's 28 basis points. So, guys, well, I, get it together. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking a look at uh, my monthly results, and it looks like I've I've had two losing months. One was 
September 2016 and one of uh, April 2017. But one th- the, the one thing that I really like about them is the fact that they're very conservative. Even when there was like big swings, I would I would have thought that they would have put a ton of trades in during like Brexit, during the Trump election. And I, I remember speaking to them about it and they purposely are like are cautious and saying, no, that that's the time where you could just bust out. So I think if anything, these guys are way more conservative than we give them credit for. Like in my mind, I'm like, oh, these guys must, you know, must be like these crazy, you know, like gambling types if they're making all this, all these trades, all this money. But I think if anything, they're actually super conservative. And if you guys read any of their posts in the weekly mails that they send out or in the boss lounge and they answer questions, they are like really, really, really like just deep into, into Forex. Yeah, and honestly, I think that I think they're just getting slightly more conservative over time. Like probably the majority of people end up doing in their lifetime. I think Tang maybe. I don't want to spill the beans here. I think he might be getting married. And if you look at at the charts, I have, I've had an account longer than you, Johnny. But when you got in, the we're, we're basically like my chart should be emulate your chart, except my chart starts earlier than yours because our, our accounts are being traded exactly the same. But before you got in, there was a lot higher peaks and troughs. And then when you got in, it started to smooth a bit. And then recently, like the last, I would say, six months, it's become even smoother. So it seems like they're, they're maybe changing their strategy up to just be a little bit more conservative, have a little bit less volatility, uh, which I'm all, all for. But of course, looking at the gains over the last three years, my account's almost doubled. So I'm kind of like sitting here on the sidelines like, hey, let's ramp it up a little bit. But uh <laughs> It's been it's been good, and uh, we definitely got to get them back on the podcast because they're super interesting guys, and um, it's almost like a it's almost like a reunion of uh, day one on the podcast. Yeah, you know, I think that'd be fun. I think what we should do is we should plan another trip when we're both back in Thailand to go to Bangkok and record a follow episode, maybe uh, over Christmas or, or in the new year. Sounds good, man. You don't have to tug my arm. So I will do. Let me jump into one of my other ones. So. Two of the other investments that I want to put kind of in review for Q2 is some of my, I wouldn't say alternative investments, but things that have a little bit less visibility on. So one is Black Hops, which is a brewery. We had Dan Norris on, let's see, episode, man, it goes back to the early days. I want to say episode six. Let me just check that. Yeah, episode six. So Dan Norris is a very well-known entrepreneur. He's, he's written a couple, uh, I'm not sure if they're best-selling books, but good books, The Seven Day Startup. Uh, he, he's very transparent in all the, the work he does. He shares information about how he gets it started, how he ramps it up, how he scales it, how he exits. Really, really good guy. So he started a brewery called Black, Hop, Black Hops Brewing, which I invested in. It's in the Gold Coast of Australia. I invested in it when it was just essentially a concept on paper and they were raising money to buy their equipment to brew beer. So it took a long time to get the equipment in, get it set up, build a brand, start brewing beer, start generating revenue. Now, uh, very proud to say, and congratulations to them, they've maxed out their capacity, which also means they've maxed out the their revenue. So they've maxed out brewing capacity, which means they can generate about uh, $90,000 or $100,000 a month. Uh, but they can't brew any more beer. So their revenue is essentially capped. So actually, they're looking at raising another round, which will double or triple their capacity. And man, the, dude, the 
craft beer scene in Australia is going absolutely insane. So it's it's similar to like the U.S. The U.S. went from three percent craft beer market to uh, of total beer market to twelve percent in just a matter of like three or four years. Australia is currently sitting at five percent and it's growing like crazy. So huge opportunity in the craft beer scene. I think Australia is employing now like fifty thousand people in the craft beer scene. So it's going crazy. No better person to have at the at the hem than Dan. It's it's interesting to watch like these entrepreneurs go from author and software startup to you know a brewery manu uh, brewery brand, and he's doing a really good job. So they're going to raise a round. If there's anyone out there interested in it, happy to circulate material. But that's been really cool to be part of because it's so atypical to any other type of investment I'm in. It's like a cool product, a physical. Uh, a consumer product that, you know, it's a beer, it's a freaking beer. So awesome thing there. And the second one I want to highlight is my storage units in Hong Kong. So if anyone's been listening since episode one, they'll know that's been a, a relatively large investment that I've made over the course of, let's see, it's, it's been kind of going on over the course of two years. So we had Kevin Shea on episode seven and Kevin and I did two joint ventures in Hong Kong, where we have we've taken out premises in industrial buildings and built 360 self storage units. So that was a really exciting project to be part of and just see it go from ripped up like I'm talking the ugliest building you've ever seen, Johnny, to <laughs> a really, really polished, like beautifully outfitted self storage unit where everything's totally automated from top to bottom. So watching that whole thing develop and start cash flowing. And now very proud to say that both units are over 90% uh, occupied and cash flowing really nicely. So that's been a really, really cool project. Huge improvement Q1 over Q2 in terms of cash flow and dividends. So very, very happy with that. And um, like I said, and also same as Dan, like no better person to be involved with in that category than, uh, than Kevin Che. That is awesome. I'm very excited for you on that. And I think you uh, you have this um, sort of love for a, something that you can actually see, you can touch, or you can visit, and I, I definitely understand why. I think I'm on the exact opposite side, where I love the fact that everything is a hundred percent digital. That there's nothing that can burn down. <laughs> there's nothing that can you know yeah. um, can have an earthquake affect it. And I love being able to just completely be location dependent. You know, being a crazy place like Kiev, Ukraine, the capital of Ukraine, and still be able to make money through my investments and my passive income online. Yeah, man, I I definitely agree with what you said, and I think more of my strategy is I think it's the same with anything, anything in life. Like the more you travel, the more ups you're gonna have, and the more downs, the more shit's gonna happen the more you travel, right? You're gonna miss flights, you're gonna lose things, you're gonna have things stolen, you're gonna get beat up, whatever. The more you invest, the more ups you're gonna have, the more downs you're gonna have. The more you do in life, just period, like the more activity you have in life, the more shit's gonna happen to you, but ultimately, the more you learn, the more strength you have, the more resiliency you have, and the more fortitude you have. So just because I'm, it's so early in my investing life and I'm relatively young at 32, I just want to do as much as possible. And like I know when I make some of these investments that they're, I'm not doing things to a full degree of due diligence. I know that some of these are not going to make 
absolute financial sense. But I'm just trying to do enough that I don't make huge mistakes. But more than anything, I'm learning. And I can take those skills and that knowledge and carry it through the rest of my life with me. And I think that right now in my life is much more important to gain that than to look at a strictly financial or a passive income stream that that supports my lifestyle because I think I can turn that on relatively easy. It's more about just trying to get as smart as I can, speak to as many smart people as possible and gain as much knowledge and experience to kind of set me uh, on a better plane for the rest of my life. I like it. And I think that's a great idea. And I think kind of on that note, let's jump to the early retirement because I, I think it's it's fun to talk about how our individual accounts are doing. But let's really talk about how our lives are being affected now that we have enough money in savings, I guess, or investments to technically not have to work. So you had your big windfall now. How many years ago was that now? Four. So it was 28. Four. And it was the very end of 2013. So for the last four years, you technically could have retired. I mean, you've technically been retired these last four years, even though you've started coworker.com now and you've had uh, other, other investments. How does it, like, how does it feel to know that you don't have to work, you know, and you can live a pretty decent life, um, you know, and just retire now? I've thought about that question and just being asked it is uh, totally different. So I think first thing is how do you how do you define retirement? Are we talking financial independence? How would you define it, Johnny? So I think when I I kind of declared on my my blog <laughs> that I'm gonna retire, I really thought about it because I was like, what does this actually mean to me? And I think what it meant was that I would not have to ever go into an office again if I didn't want to. I would never have to work a job or even do, you know, create a business or work at a business that I didn't enjoy doing. That I would have, en- and I think the biggest part of it was just financial, where I would have enough money coming in, either through my investments or dividends or through a drawdown to be able to live for the rest of my life without ever having to work again. Mm-hmm. So I would say that without giving my definition of what retirement is, I would say, just to answer your question directly, like how does it how does it feel? So when we got out of the business in 2013, I was absolutely exhausted, beat. Like every piece of physical energy, emotional energy, spiritual enemy was completely drained out of me. I had nothing left to give. So I can honestly say if we hadn't sold the business at that point, it would have completely fallen apart because there was just there's nothing left in the tank. I was running on total E. So there was a course of very euphoric moment when I realized that that's all behind and you have this sum of, of digital money essentially hitting your bank account, right? It doesn't feel like you're any more wealthy. It just feels like you look at, you look at your Bank of America statement and there's a bunch more zeros behind, behind the balance, right? But you don't actually know what that means. So it, it took a lot of time to actually get my head around like what that meant because uh, I was essentially living poor until that happened, until that day. I mean, I never had accumulated any type of, of, of wealth, right? So I would say that there was, there was a long wind down period of about six months where I was getting my head around that accounting, like what that money actually meant, how long I could live off that, how long, how much money I was actually going to start spending each month. Once I got my head around it, the next six months were amazing. It was like pure bliss, 
lots of partying, traveling, bucket listing every single week, you know, just swiping the credit card, flying first class, going someplace, doing something I've always wanted to do. And then there was a, so there was a huge like euphoria of that. And then there was another major trough where I realized, wow, all of my friends are working nine to five. I have no one to do this with. I'm literally doing everything myself and all this stuff I'm getting numb to. And we had on uh, Todd Tresseter in a, a previous episode, we're talking about some of the, the downside of early retirement. And that was something I never could, you know, anticipate or, or, or had any type of um, mentor in a sense to give me advice on how that would feel. So that was like, it was like a huge peak followed by a huge trough. And then decided just to basically, you know, start working on things that I really felt passionate and wanted to work on. And I, and then, and then everything got great again. So I guess just to summarize, answering your question, like for me, early retirement became working on things that you want to work on, not because you have to work on it, not because you need the paycheck to decide what you want to work on and things that you're interested in working on. So now when I work like a 12 hour day, which I do very, very commonly, just like today, it's a, 11 p.m. my time. I've been working since 8 a.m. I drink probably six coffees today, followed by a bottle of wine. And I've just been nonstop today, but it doesn't feel like work to me. It feels like passion. It feels like uh, a hobby. So uh, I think for me, it just comes down to feeling good about what you want to work on every single day when you get up. And for me, that's what early retirement's all about. It's not about going and sitting on a beach you know, for six days in a row. It's about just having the flexibility to live where you want to live and to work on what you want to work on. I like that. I like that a lot. And I think my story was a little, actually a little bit similar to yours where one of the reasons why I sold both my job shipping stores and I've stopped kind of actively working and creating new businesses or, you know, even new online projects was because I was exhausted, you know, maybe not to the same point as, as you were, but I think mentally and emotionally, I was just, I was done. You know, I, I went from, you know, having kind of a pretty carefree life to working my, my butt off, you know, uh, six days a week at a corking space, just building the businesses and having these crazy time zones, you know, sometimes having to wake up, you know, stay up until two or three in the morning to call suppliers back in the US. Yeah. And I just got, emotionally just drained from it. And I just wanted to take a big break. So that's probably why these last, I'll say, you know, maybe in this like six months or so, I really just haven't been doing anything. And luckily, I guess there's been travel to kind of fill the time. But pretty recently, I would say pretty much after the Ireland walk, I've decided that that's enough. Like I, I'm, you know, it's not that I don't want to travel anymore. <laughs> it's just that I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I need to get back into a normal routine, a normal life. And I decided I'm just going to live somewhere for two or three months at a time and not move around so much. You know, I'll still go and see cool places on weekends, but Monday through Friday, I really want to get back to routine. And because I was already in Europe for so long and I plan on staying for, you know, maybe five or six months, until it gets cold, I couldn't stay in the Schengen zone anymore. So I had to leave Western Europe. And that's when I decided to come to Kiev, Ukraine, which is the capital here. Mm. It's a beautiful place. The cost of living is super low. And I've now, you know, just checked into Airbnbs where I'm kind of like James Altucher, just living out of Airbnbs full time now. And I joined a co-working space. You know, I have a gym routine now. And I'm, I'm learning Russian out of all, all, you know, all languages. And I feel like 
I have a normal life again. I'm getting healthier. I'm expanding my, my brain more again. And I've also decided that for me, I don't think I ever want to truly, truly retire and just not work at all mm-hmm. anymore. And especially because the amount of money that I would have coming in, I don't know. Actually, you know, this is actually an interesting question for you because from my point of view, the, the reason why I want to work harder and kind of get back into building businesses, you know, I never want to work again, you know, just to make money, but I, I want to build a business and bring in extra income because I miss flying business class. I miss not having to think about, you know, uh, whether I should buy the, the latest iPhone when it, when it comes out next year or the new MacBook when it comes out. And now because my 4% drawdown, which is kind of what we talked about in previous episodes where if I take my total net worth and I draw down about 4% uh, per year for living costs, that should theoretically, uh, as long as it's invested decently, last me kind of the rest of my life. And the actual number is only per month, I can only spend $1,700 a month. So $1,700 a month. <laughs> well, let's, <laughs> I mean, so you're retired, but you have like seven places in the world and probably maybe one or two continents that you can really reside on and be comfortable. Yeah. And, and that, I think that was the, the, the issue where in my old mindset, you know, especially when I wrote 12 weeks of Thailand, I really thought I would be happy living in Thailand because there, there are plenty of people who are now 55 or 65 that are living in Chiang Mai, Thailand for way less than $1,700 a month. And, you know, that's their life. And I thought that's what I wanted. And now I've realized I, I, I don't. Like I, I need to not only do I need to have more money for myself because I want to be able to like really enjoy life, but it's more than just me now. I mean, just like even the fact that I had to spend two weeks thinking about if I can afford to don't to uh, to match my buddy's donation to the to the charity and yeah. you know put five hundred dollars into uh, into the, the the account for orphans. I'm like, I don't want to have to think about that for two weeks. I should just be able to just do that. Yeah. I mean, I think it all comes down to options, right? Humans, part of happiness is having options. And sometimes having too many options is actually a bad thing and bad for your happiness. But having a certain amount of options above what most people have, which is, I can't leave here. I have a lot of liabilities. I have to live in this location. I have to work for this job. I can't take any risk. That's not enough options. But having more options than that, having some of the options that you just were kind of talking about having, I think are definitely a good thing. And I actually want to pick your brain on this a little bit because so you mentioned about like not having to grind on some of the things that you were grinding on. So one like one of the first times you and I ever had like a a, kind of like a deep conversation was in Colanta. And I was actually just got a Facebook photo reminder of like, I don't know, was it like two years ago or something when we were in Colanta and we were buying our Teslas together. Right. (laughs) And you were like, massively leveling up at that point and you're all like on the grind and but I remember asking you I'm like you know like what do you want to what do you want to do like what are you working on what's your goals and you're like right now I'm just kind of focused on not having to wake up every morning and put out fires and I'm like man I know like I know exactly what that feels like right and now you've 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 basically achieved that like you've you've gotten away from that type of stuff you leveled up massively 
over just the course of time since I've gotten to know you, you've like tripled your wealth to a point that you can theoretically retire if you want, like retire and not work anymore if you want to. But like, what are you actually like, did you, what are you actually feeling right now? Now that you've actually felt that you, you're not working, you don't really have to work. You're, you're essentially gone into maintenance mode and traveled to some really, really cool places, done some great things. Like you already said that you're feeling like you want to get back into something. Was there any like real lows associated with that? Or was it just kind of like, like, eh, this is, this isn't for me. Huge lows. I mean, I, I've actually never felt this broke in my entire life, which is mm. in- insane because I have way more money now in, in my net worth than I've ever even dreamed of having in my whole life. But I feel so poor because, you know, I know that that's going to run out. And I know that every single month that I don't work, I'm drawing down on what, yeah. you know, my, my, you know, my nest egg is. And I've also kind of opened my eyes and realized, man, if this is the way I have to live for the rest of my life, my options are so limited and I can't do the things I really love to do. I can't be generous to my friends. I can't donate to the charities that, that I see, you know, are doing great things. I can't offer to, you know, to buy my cousin a plane ticket to come hang out with me. You know, and, and I, I know these are not normal things that, you know, everyone dreams of, you know, everybody expects to be able to do, but I've decided that like this is what makes me happy in life. It's not necessarily having a fancy car or, you know, buying a big house or anything. I like being able to be generous with my friends, with my family members, yeah. you know, and I want to be able to take care of my parents and not, not have uh, them work. And, it's it's become bigger than just me and i think that is the kind of the biggest pressure is having enough money to take care of other people especially because now you know i'm i'm at an age where i'm thinking in the next few years i would like to have a family and i can't yeah. have raise kids on $1700 a month you know and if i do right. it's like what kind of life is that going to be for them so it's one of those things where i've just, i've realized this is you know this was great you know i had my early retirement i enjoyed it for a few months and I have the option to continue it. But now that I have the option, my eyes have opened and I've realized, okay, that, that's enough. You know, that was a good holiday. I'm glad I did that, but it's, it's time to get back on the horse. Okay. So it's, but it, it, one level deeper than that, right? So let's say that you had substantially more money than you had. It's, it's sometimes, I think, hard to put yourself in the shoes, but think about if you had, say, 20 times the wealth. Do you think, and 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 then money truly wasn't a concern like where you're like no i'm i'm set i can raise a family very healthily would you still feel comfortable do you think you still feel comfortable not working not producing like because certain people can certain people can i just want to know like where your mind is when it comes to having once been super productive leveling up growing productive assets to kind of going into maintenance mode like mentally are you okay with that or does that bother you? Money aside. Yeah, I thought I would be okay with it, but I feel like a slob. I feel kind of like a lazy slob waking up and not having any responsibilities, you know, waking up late, just kind of like lingering around for two hours having breakfast. And I guess, you know, it's nice to do when you're on vacation <laughs> or even if you want to take a break. Uh, but 
I've never felt better than when I had a routine where I had to wake up at a normal hour. You know, I, I think the ideal life would be a mixture of the two. You know, the ideal life wouldn't be to wake up at noon every day and just kind of sit around in your pajamas and watch TV all day. Uh, but yeah. the ideal life is also not being forced to wake up at 5.30 in the morning to have to drive in the cold, dark traffic to a job you hate. So my ideal life have, has always been waking up, you know, around 8, you know, 7.30, eh, maybe 8, 8.30, uh, and going to a co-working space that I choose to go to, working on projects that I like doing, and then having a, a gym routine where every day at 4 p.m. I go to the gym and I work hard at the gym, and then enjoying weekends. And I think that no matter how much money I had in the bank, I would still want to do that. I think that would still make me the happiest, even though it's easy to think, oh, well, you know, why, you know, why go to the gym at all? Or why go to work at all? when you, if you don't need to, Man, I think you said it perfectly. And I think I think it's really hard to get this type of perspective, just simply because type the amount of people that are in the situation are limited. And the ones that are are sometimes difficult to get information from. And honestly, Johnny, like you don't really show your emotions, right? So sometimes I have no idea what you're thinking. And I, I think I'm kind of the opposite, like for better or for worse. A lot of people will say for worse, like I wear my emotions on my sleeve. If I'm in a good mood, everyone in the city knows I'm in a good mood. And I'm out high five and chest bumping. And if I'm in a bad mood, like stay out of my condo building because everyone's going to know about it. But I think like the whole early retirement thing, I think what people should focus on is financial freedom because financial freedom is a beautiful thing. But early retirement in what we classically know retirement as, which is quitting working, being hobby based, waking up late, going to bed early, sipping coffee all day. I've never found anyone that can do that. I don't know. Um, I don't know a thousand people that have, are financially independent but I know definitely a hundred and nobody I know has been able to do that for more than six months, not two years, not five years, not six months, like not six months. Everyone essentially becomes an alcoholic or goes sort of insane. I was just with my buddy, Chris, he, he joined the, the Ireland walk and he, he did it for six months. He went like lived on a sailboat, walked across Ireland. And afterwards he's like, dude, I'm like, I'm so lost. Right. I just I don't know what to do. I don't need I don't need to work. I'm just pretending I have jet lag because I don't know what to do. Like I'm just sleeping all day. I don't know what to do. So there is actually a really dark side. And this is why everybody you see that is a billionaire, they're still working. They're still working. They're not sitting on a beach all day. Like if you think sitting on a beach for a year is retirement and paradise, go try it for four days. It only feels like or seems like it'd be paradise because it's counter to what we're used to. It's counter to what most people are used to, which is office work. But what's crazy is when you look at people who live in, say, New York City, when they go for vacation, where do they go? They go skiing, or they go to a countryside, or they go to a beach. But when you go meet people that live at a beach, like in Phuket, they all go to Hong Kong or Singapore for vacation, which sounds crazy. But people just want what they're, what they're, what's counter to them. And so what seems counter to most people is not working nine to five, is not being stuck in the grind. But as soon as you do something that is the opposite, which is like sit around, drink beer, and go on walking tours all day, trust me, it gets old really, really quick, much quicker than working a nine to five job. So 
I think the whole the whole premise of retirement really needs to be thought about conceptually as more as financial freedom that enables you to do things that you really want to focus your time on. You're happy doing like raising money for charity, doing personal challenges like walking across a country and working on on passion projects that you think will will benefit the world and, and benefit a generation of people. Yeah, I definitely agree. And there's a quote that really kind of sums up what happiness is. It says, happiness is pretty simple. All you need is someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. And I think that's – it's it's such an easy kind of breakdown to it. But I, I really do think that by not having anything to do or not really having anything to look forward to, you know, I mean like if you have a normal job – you know, every day you're busy, you know, you, you have something to do. Um, and you look forward to the vacation, you look forward to the weekend. And as long as you go home and you have someone to love, then you're, you know, and that loves you back, you're pretty much set. You're pretty much like in a good life. But, you know, when you are like in, in my shoes where I'm traveling to a new country, you know, before is every like few weeks. And I didn't know anyone, so there's, you know, my family, you know, the, my loved ones aren't, aren't around. I'm not dating anyone seriously. I wake up and I have nothing to do, no responsibilities, and I don't really have anything to look forward to because I'm always doing everything. It really mm-hmm. kind of just is this weird, this like weird rut. And I think that the the biggest thing that people can learn from this that that aren't that's not in this position yet is enjoy what you are doing today. And work towards having the financial freedom so you can have the option to take a break for as long as you need. You know, whether it's going to be for two weeks or a month or three months, or let's say you get an injury, you get sick and, you know, not having, not being forced to go to work if you have a broken leg and, you know, being able to work from, you know, from home. I think these are great things to, to inspire to, but the dream of just hibernating and just doing nothing. Is not going to make anybody happy, and and I think we've discovered that. Yeah, there's a there's a book called Happiness Hypothesis, which I encourage everyone to read, and it goes into kind of scientific and psychological equation of what makes people happy. And I wish there was much much more data and science into this because I think ultimately that's the goal of life: it's happiness, right? Countries think that happiness is GDP, so they put in all these policies to increase GDP at no matter what the cost. But that's not what ultimately drives people happy. Who knows if if GDP has any significant correlation to happiness? It's really hard to quantify happiness. But this book basically makes a point that it has a lot to do with maybe 50% is basically you're born with it. But humans are extremely adaptive. So you look at people that are the most successful and have had most success in their life. They have huge peaks in happiness and then they settle. And then you have look at people on the opposite side of the spectrum that had a lot of like drawdowns in life, a lot of bad luck. They have these huge troughs in happiness and then they settle. And then everyone kind of always settles along the same kind of line, right, of happiness. But one thing that definitely influences happiness is external progress. And it doesn't have to be business. It could be jump rope. It could be kickboxing. It could be a foreign language. But always having some type of variable in your life that you're progressing towards has been proven to be a huge part of happiness. And what I found was that after we sold the business and I essentially stopped learning, I stopped progressing in so many ways. And I just went after all this hedonistic adventure 
of bucket listing and partying and, and doing all these like exotic things that I always thought would make me happy. It led me into like the biggest depression of my life. And I look back to some of the happiest points in my life. It was always something around progress. It was reaching goals in a business or a skill and having a routine. So this is why I loved like James Altcher so much and why I was so pumped to get him on the show because he's one of the few people that are really, really open about this stuff. He's been through highs. He's been through lows. And I think everything that he says makes sense. And he's probably one of the best people to actually, if you're in the situation, to, to read his material and see exactly what he's been through and what advice he gives because I think it's, it's extremely practical. Someone else, I also look up to Brett Crosby of Peer Street. I mean, he sold Urchin, which became Google Analytics. Like the guy's a stud. He lives in L.A. He's got a great life. Like he doesn't need to work, but he's building Peer Street and he's got a fantastic office, a wonderful group of people working for him. And I can't imagine anything happier. Like, yeah, he's in an office nine to five. But it's a fantastic place to be. It's a fantastic place to be a founder of. And I can't imagine him being any happier if he was surfing any day than, you know, to be working on something that he's created and wants to work on. I love it. And we've had both of them on the show. So definitely check those interviews out on Invest Like a Boss if you guys haven't already. And speaking kind of on that, what are you working on nowadays to give you something to do and have something kind of you're, you're working towards building or getting better at? My, my, I had three things on my bucket list for this year. And this is like slowed down dramatically over the last couple of years because I was so focused on just doing like personal, again, hedonistic kind of adventures. So I had three things on my list this year. This goes along with being a little bit more settled and, and stop traveling so much is one, I wanted to learn how to ski really, really well uh, because I think that's just skiing is something you can do until your 80s and really, really enjoy. Uh, so I went out to Tahoe did that. Second was I wanted to do this fundraiser for Cambodia for these playgrounds and walk across Ireland as, as kind of a key part of that. And we just did that. And my last thing is to really grow coworker into more of our vision of what the platform can be and how it can really transform an emerging industry. And honestly, my entire drive behind this business is my, is my co-founder. Because if I was doing it just fully out of my own purposes, it's way too easy to give up now. It's like, it's incredibly easy to give up on yourself now because I have financial independence. And then when things get tough, I'm just like, okay, forget about it. But I, I love my co-founder, Leanne. She inspires me every day. And I enjoy working on this 10 hours a day. Like today was in crazy day, 12 hour day, but I enjoyed literally every minute of it. And, um, I can't imagine having a better day than than working with people that you want to work with and collaborating and trying to, to build something meaningful. So that's where I'm at for that's been a big part of my quarter two. It's a huge part of my quarter three. And the podcast continues to inspire me and, and give me new knowledge along with you and catching up with you every week is great as well, right? Yeah, and definitely. I love that. Uh, so for me, kind of on that same on that same page. I've taken kind of a, a chapter out of my book, Life Changes Quick, where I asked myself this question where compared to where I was last year or last quarter, am I in better shape? Am I, is my health better? Uh, do I have more money or less money? Uh, is my relationships better or worse? Have I learned any new skills? Have, have I improved uh, a, a language? And unfortunately, you know, really just being honest with myself, I think almost everything here was a negative 
for this quarter. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. my net worth is less than it was, uh, last quarter, um, mainly because, you know, taxes were due. So it's, that wasn't really my fault, but it is my fault that I wasn't actively building my businesses and I was kind of just relying on passive income. You know, I'm definitely in, I'm in worse shape by not having a normal gym routine and drinking too much and eating too much, you know, crap. Um, <laughs> my relationships have suffered because I've been just traveling so much and not being in one place long enough to even have a serious relationship. And yeah. I wasn't even really reading new books or learning anything, uh, any new skills. I was kind of just enjoying life. So I've just, you know, really sat down today and I really thought about it. And I was like, this quarter or, you know, hopefully for the rest of my life, uh, I'm gonna, I want to improve in all these categories every single, every single quarter, every single, every single month, every single year, instead of having them ever go back into the negative. That's great, man. It's really good to hear. And I, I saw you post something on Facebook recently that was about one of your wealthy friends and I forget how, what, what the comment was, but it was basically like your friend saying, listen, it doesn't matter what wealth level you're at, you're always going to feel poor. The more money you have, the more poor you feel. And I would totally underscore that and echo it. And does that like does that affect you? And does that affect your plans for early retirement? Like how how money driven are you? And how much are you just in the camp of wanting to progress and feel like that natural course of progression? Yeah, yeah, I think it's kind of um, it's kind of this weird thing where. So he he sent that to me in a private message, and I you know I didn't put his name on it when I when I posted it just because I didn't want to call him out or anything. But he you know basically told me how lonely he feels uh, now that he's you know worth like 1.5 million because very few other people are <laughs> are worth that much, especially living in Chiang Mai. Actually, I, I should connect you guys because you guys are both there now. <laughs> but it's like one of those things where everyone else is you know is talking about trying to save a couple bucks here and there or live, trying to live off of $600 a month and which is possible and then at the same time you know you realize when you do have half a million or even I would assume even at 1.5 million is that money does not like there's no amount of money that that's infinite because the more you make the more you end up spending the, the more um liabilities you have, the more you're paying taxes, but also just kind of the things that are expected of you in terms of what your your family expects out of you, or your friends expect out of you, or even what you expect out of yourself, your expenses yeah. just end up going up. So it just never it's never enough. But at the same time, it's it's probably enough right now. So regardless of you know how much you have in the bank, as long as it's not negative, you know, as long as you have some money coming in and you're smart with it. I think the magic number was honestly about thirty grand because that was the happiest I've ever been. Is when I went from having you know a couple hundred bucks in the in the bank to having thirty k in the bank, and I went out and bought the gold watch and I wrote the book and I was like, wow, life is amazing, and I was in the best shape in my life, and I knew I had enough money to float me. If I needed to, um, you know, for a couple months or a year, if something ever, you know, went bad, I knew I had enough money for emergencies, and it was, it was honestly the the happiest I've ever been. So now that I'm worth more than ten times that, I should be ten times happier. But I yeah, haven't been. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a crazy thing, man. It's a crazy thing. I mean, I'll just go along with what you said. The happiest I ever was, looking back was when I was making 2000 a month on salary for my own company. I was 
basically living off of like microwavable food, right? But that 2000 was going straight into my bank and I had a credit card on my company. Like I never had to worry about expense. I would just go, I, I just got used to eating microwavable food because I was living essentially poor for so long and I didn't like, I kind of like, like that poor lifestyle. I, even to the day, I, I still basically live like a poor man's lifestyle for the most part, except for the occasional splurge. But I had everything on a company credit card, like my travel, my hotels, my dinners, my whatever it is, right? So I had very little income. I had one financial account, which is a Bank of America checking account. But I didn't ha I had like very, very limited taxes. I had very limited reporting. I didn't have all these account overviews. And now I have kind of the opposite. And trust me, there's a wonderful, wonderful side to the financial independence and creating wealth. But there's a lot of negative that goes along with it. I think one of the, the really smart things that James Altcher said on, his, on the episode with him was like, listen, if, if you have money, no rush to invest it. Everyone gets FOMO in all aspects of life and especially in investing. People are so scared to miss the boat. But the most stressful times of James's life were when he had tried to invest everything, right, versus just sitting on it and relaxing. There's nothing wrong with that. So, you know, as much as we, we like to talk about the wonderful things about creating wealth and financial freedom and early retirement, I think it's just as important to talk about some of the drawdowns and, and negative aspects if you don't plan for it accordingly because people work so hard their whole life to get there and then they get there and they're like, wow, I have these negative feelings about certain parts of it. And that's just this major low because that's what their whole life was predicated on was early retirement and getting to this point. So I think it's really important for people to understand these things, continue to work really, really hard for what their goals are and but have a bit of a better plan. If you get there, good luck to you. I hope you succeed, but have a plan for what that will mean to you and how you will continue to progress in your life. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think the the kind of biggest takeaway kind of to sum all of it up is if you can't be happy or if you're not happy now, wherever you guys are in your in your lives, you having more money is not going to make you happier. And, and that's with the exception of, you know, if you if you're able to, to you know, to eat and have shelter, but aside from just having mm -hmm. like a basic life, um if you can't be happy with 30K, you're not going to be happy with 500K and you're not going to be happy with 5 million. But as Mark Cuban says, if you're happy already, money can make you a hell of a lot happier. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I definitely think that as well. So this has been a, this has been a fun episode. I, I'm glad that we, we finally sat down to do this. I'm glad that I kind of put it all out there. So when I reflect in Q3... I better be in better shape. I better be in better health. I better have more money in my net, total net worth. I better be in a better relationship. And I better speak more Russian than I do today, which is niet. Man, we're in no better support group than iLab. If you guys aren't already in our Facebook group, join the Boss Lounge. We're talking about amazing things in there all day. It's a selective group. And the content quality is very, very high. We're always sharing relevant success stories and in investing and, of course, the bad stuff as well. But get in there. We have a lot of good chat. And Johnny and I are active in it almost every single day. And just some updates for Q3 plans on the podcast. Oh, man, so many things we still want to cover. But uh, we're definitely going to get into options trading. We're going to get into closed-end funds. As we said, we're going to get into municipal bond funds, more Forex trading, all types of different investing strategies. John and I are still very, very keen to get into, and we have a lot of good ones lined up 
If you have any recommendations or suggestions of guests you'd like to get on the show, please email us at info at investlikeaboss.com or feel free to join the Boss Lounge and drop it in there. Yeah, so if you guys want to join, just go to investlikeaboss.com, click on bonus, and you will see uh, right over there um, how to join. And because it's a new month, I would like to give away another $25 Amazon gift card. I think we haven't done this in a while, so I'm really, really excited to be able to do this. Uh, this, this month, let's give it to Mason Williams from the U.S., so big shout out to Mason. Thank you for leaving a review on the iTunes store. And if you guys haven't done it yet, uh, we'll extend it. You know what? I, I think originally we said we we're only going to do it for the first year, but I think we can extend it at least for a couple more months. So if you guys want a chance at winning a $25 Amazon gift card, just leave a review on the iTunes store and send in a screenshot of uh, where you did it. Either tweet at us at invest like a boss or email us, uh, through the website investlikeaboss.com and we will get your um get you into the drawing and also I want to give a big thank you not only to the rest of the people who have left reviews already you guys are awesome you know even if we don't have uh gift cards for everyone unfortunately but you guys are the reason why we're able to continue the show every single week and also big thank you to our sponsor FreshBooks if you guys have any kind of online business and you want to be able to do all your accounting in the cloud, expense everything, have invoices automatically sent to uh, your clients so you don't have to remember to do it <laughs> and you can get paid on time easily, go to freshbooks.com slash invest like a boss and in the how you heard about us section, make sure you put in invest like a boss podcast. So anything else you want to leave uh, the listeners with, Sam? No, it's been a great episode. I'm glad we did this. I'm glad uh, we chatted about some of the positions that we're in, not just investing wise, but in life and happiness. I think happiness is a huge part of investing because people are investing to get more financial independence and ultimately become happier. But what makes us happy? So let's all go out there and give each other a hug and get really happy and make some more money. Let's do it. See all of you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.